Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We will be reading verses 2 through 9 as we continue in our series on the book of Philippians. Empowered to rejoice, how God gives us, empowers us to rejoice uh, even in the midst of the world in which we live, the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. Hear now the word of the living and true God. I entreat Judea, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let us pray. As we think about this peace, Lord God, we pray that you would enable us to rejoice knowing that we have peace that comes from you. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. You want to keep your finger there in Philippians 4. I just want to glance at Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 is the text from which the words of the song we sang just a moment ago comes from. Isaiah 26 and verse 3, the Bible says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. The Hebrew literally says, peace, peace. You keep him in peace, peace. And the double emphasis there is to denote the strengthening of the idea of peace. And so, Our English translation, most English translations say perfect peace. And so it was that Edward Henry Beckerstaff penned the words to this song, Peace, Perfect Peace. Uh, That's who wrote it there. You see it in the left-hand side there uh, above the song. Edward uh, Beckerstaff. He was actually visiting a relative who was sick and was dying, a saint, Uh, He was actually Archbishop Hill, and it happened to be a Sunday that he was visiting uh, Archbishop Hill, and Becker Steff had gone to services that morning to church, and the text and the sermon had been on Isaiah 26 and verse 3, and so he was relaying, Becker Steff was, to uh, Hill, he was relating the content of the sermon that he'd heard that morning, and the text again being Isaiah 26 and verse 3, perfect peace, you keep him in perfect peace. Well, it it so happened that as they were conversing, uh, the uh, man, Hill, Archbishop Hill, fell asleep. 
And Becker Steff was there and sat with him while he was asleep. And while he was asleep, that's when Becker Steff wrote the hymn that we just sang. Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace. I believe it's what everybody wants. Peace. It's what some people pay large sums of money in attempts to try and find it. Peace. Peace can only be found in one place. And our, the text that we read there in Isaiah 26 tells us where we can find it. It is in you because He trusts in you. It can only be found, this peace, in God. With those thoughts, we come to Philippians 4. And here, the theme of peace comes up again and again. The desire for peace within the church. The desire for peace that comes from God that surpasses all understanding. Peace that we seek within. Peace of mind. By thinking certain things. In this text, we see that God empowers His people to rejoice because He gives us peace. How can we have peace? Peace with one another. Peace with God. Peace within, in our minds, in our hearts. Well, here in Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9, this text highlights peace. Peace even from God, even that perfect peace. It begins with this conversation in verses 2 and 3 about peace in the church. You have two sisters here, Yodia and Syntyche, who have apparently come into conflict with one another. They're at odds with each other. Yodia, Syntyche. Yodia, her name means fragrance. Syntyche means good luck. And yet, they were in conflict with one another. Yodia was no longer giving off a good fragrance, as it were. It was, well, her attitude stank, apparently. Syntyche, no longer good luck. Now she's run afoul of circumstances. They were in conflict with one another. Why? We, we don't know. The, what is recorded are their names. And we know that they were in conflict. But what exactly they were in conflict about, we don't know. That hasn't kept people from speculating. Suggestions abound as to exactly what the conflict was ranging all the way from perhaps something trivial. Maybe they brought the same thing to the church potluck and just became at odds with one another. I don't know. Maybe the one sister said, we can't have the red Kool-Aid here. And the other sister said, yes, we are. And we got carpet, new carpet put in. And she says, that doesn't matter. People love red Kool-Aid. I don't know. Something trivial. That's been speculated. Perhaps it was a, a personal matter that they came in conflict about. Maybe... Some have suggested they had rival churches, and one's church was larger than the other. Others have said it was maybe a Jew-Gentile disagreement. You had a lot of that going on as Jews and Gentiles were finding their place in the one body of Christ, and, and maybe that was what sparked the disagreement. Whatever the issue was, we see Paul's exhortation to these sisters. Agree in the Lord. Be of the same mind. In other words, whatever the issue is, you need to work through this that you can bury it. I entreat, Judea. I entreat, Syntyche. The double exhortation, the double entreaty there may indicate both of these women are at fault. That's usually how it goes with conflict. 
Rarely is it that one person bears the full brunt of the issue. And so Paul says, I ask you also, my English translation says true companion, but it's got a footnote that indicates the word here is syzygous. And some take that to be a proper name. That could be the individual's name that Paul is exhorting here. Whatever the situation, the Philippians knew this person and knew that he would be a benefit in resolving and working through the issue that these sisters had. He wouldn't get into their business in order to try and spread gossip around, spread it around. Did you hear what's going on with Yudi and Syntyche? That's not what the true companion would do, doing more harm than good. He wouldn't take sides, wouldn't gang up on the other person. Well, you know, Syntyche, you really need to get in line here with Yudia, right? That's not what the true companion, what Syzygus would do here. He would help them work through, help these women. They've labored side by side with me in the gospel. Notice, they've worked not just with Paul, side by side with one another. All the good work they had done. But because of whatever it is that they're fighting about here, it threatens the unity of the body and perhaps even the good work that they have accomplished. And together with Clement, the rest of my workers, whose names are in the book of life. They're, they're siblings. They're part of the family. They are faithful members of the church. And their names are written in God's book. You know, I, I think about this particular situation here. I wouldn't call myself a Trekkie. <laughs> Although lately I have been working through Star Trek Enterprise. And that recounts uh, the first interstellar voyages of the Starship Enterprise, about 100 years before the events of the original series, Star Trek. There's one episode in season two. Captain Jonathan Archer is called upon to negotiate a ceasefire between the Andorians and the Vulcans. They have a dispute over a planet in shared space. And, and so Archer is called in to negotiate that ceasefire by the leader of the uh, Andorians, his name is Shran, and that's because Shran sees Archer as trustworthy, sees him as being even-handed in his dealings. And that's akin to what we see here with Syzygus, the true companion. He's the fulfilling the role of Captain Archer, as it were, to come in and negotiate the, the ceasefire between Yodia and Syntyche, to broker peace between them. Do you see how we have this presented here, a model for resolving issues and bringing about peace in the body when conflict does arise? And that's the thing about conflict is you don't have to go off world. You don't have to leave earth to find conflict. You can find it right here at home. It's inevitable among humans that we do run into conflict. Church members, siblings in the family of God, we do get into conflict. We have disagreements with one another. See, it's not, just, it's not a matter of if we disagree with one another. It's when we disagree, when we come into conflict. But even though conflict may be inevitable, it does not need to be divisive. And it shouldn't be divisive. We have the mind of Christ. That's, we've seen that earlier in Philippians. Literally, the phrase there, agree in the Lord, is be of the same mind. This is a similar phrase we've seen all throughout the book of Philippians up to this point. 
Conflict may actually draw us closer to one another. I mean, that happens sometimes when, when rivals who start off as rivals eventually become friends because they've worked through the conflict. You know, when I sit down with couples and I do uh, either premarital or marital counseling, we talk about conflict. One of the things I say to them is conflict is the, pr- the price that smart couples pay for intimacy. If I could just adjust that a little bit, conflict is the price that smart churches pay for intimacy and closer relationship with one another. We can help one another work through whatever issues we have with one another. Our brother Gary talked last week during the communion message about how we are competent in Christ. And indeed we are. We have everything that we need so that we can agree in the Lord. That's the basis for peace in the church. The basis is being of the same mind, even the mind of Christ. And so we see again a model here where an honest broker comes in. Someone who's trustworthy, a trustworthy brother, sister in Christ who can come in and work through issues with one another. This is where we can find and how we can achieve peace among fellow Christians, even practically. But really, peace among fellow Christians is rooted in peace that comes from God. And that moves us into verses 4 through 7, which talks about peace from God. It begins with, joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Notice the Lord. It is the Lord who is the source and the sustainer of our joy and our peace. But also it is constant. Rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of circumstances, regardless of the situation we might find ourselves in. Paul himself writing from a Roman jail, and yet he can write, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The word there for reasonableness, your translation may say gentleness. That's good too. The idea here has to do with a gracious spirit that does not insist on its own way. Now on Wednesday nights, we've been studying through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, finished that study up this last Wednesday. And one of the characteristics that Paul uses to describe love is it does not insist on its own way. And so here, your reasonableness, that gracious spirit that doesn't insist on its own way. If I could summarize this idea in a single word, perhaps a a better word would be magnanimous. Uh, That we are to be big-souled. That we are to be gracious toward one another. And it is the joy that comes from the Lord, which is ours in the Lord, that produces this magnanimity that ought to be evident to everyone. President Abraham Lincoln characterizes this idea of magnanimity, and it's captured in the book by uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, Team of Rivals. You see, when Lincoln became president, he gathered together a team of rivals in his cabinet. What's interesting is that there were uh, some of these men that he had run against, they had opposed him in the race for the presidency. Some of them had even been uh, somewhat discourteous. They had called him names uh, in running against him. And yet it was his magnanimity that enabled him to pull together this team of rivals, these men who would lead the country through tumultuous times, and specifically the Civil War. 
It was his magnanimity that enabled him not just to form the team, but also to lead the team successfully, that team of rivals. And in a similar way, Christ has gathered a team of rivals of sort, a team that sometimes we do get into disagreements with one another. Yodi and Syntyche, prime example. How about even in the ministry of Christ? Don't we read about how when they were traveling to a city one time, the disciples were disagreeing with one another. They were in conflict, arguing about who was the greatest among them. Jesus, remember, he says, hey, uh, what are you guys talking about? And they were kind of, that's when they started screwing their foot into the ground, right? Because they're embarrassed. They've been arguing about who was the greatest. And Jesus has to set them straight about greatness in the kingdom. It means that you will be a servant or a slave of everyone. That's what true greatness is in the kingdom. Christ has pulled together this team of rivals, team of rivals, yes? And we, again, we end up in conflict, we end up in disagreement with one another, and yet despite our shortcomings, Christ still loves us, and He still calls us to relationship with Him. And then He commissions us for good ministry and service in the world, and He empowers us to carry on that good ministry for His name's sake. You see, the Lord is at hand. And while that may talk about the, the nearness, how we, we have the belief in the imminent coming of Christ, He could come at any moment. It also points to the fact that, well, what we'll read here in verse 9 about the God of peace will be with you. That He is with us, at hand, close by, right there with us throughout this. Verses 6 and 7, an entire sermon could be preached on this. Indeed, I have preached on this very text. It's been a couple years now. But so rich, so dense, do not be anxious about anything, how difficult it is to fulfill that command, and it is a command, to not worry about anything. And we see the, the prescription, as it were, for our worry and our anxiety in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. There's four different words that Paul uses for prayer uh, supplicate, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and then requests. And it's, what's interesting is there is progression in this. The term, the first term there, and everything by prayer. Prayer is just a general term for talking with God, uh, any and every prayer. But then supplication really comes in, and, and supplication is petitionary prayer. That's where you actually start asking God for certain things for others. That's the key there for supplication, is you're asking for others' specific requests. And then thanksgiving, that is your expression of gratitude toward God. You thank Him for being a God who hears, for being a God who answers prayer, always answers prayer. And then, only after you've had the general prayer, and you've prayed for others, and you've given thanks to God, that's when you present your requests. And when you realize how big God is, those things that you thought were so big in your life, well, they're not as big as you once thought they were. But now you begin to ask and make your specific requests to God. This is, uh, it seems like a, a logical progression in the mind of the apostle as he works through this. But notice, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, not it might, perhaps, I don't know, just try this out and see if it works. It, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. The result attached to taking all things to God in prayer is God gives us peace. Let me just emphasize the Trinitarian nature of this peace. You see, here it is talked about in verse 9 as God is the God of peace. And so the Father gives us peace. That's the idea. But then the Son, didn't He say, the night He was to be betrayed, John chapter 14 and verse 27, My peace I give you. My peace I live. So here's God the Son giving us His peace as well. And then isn't peace one of those listed that are part of the fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. So the Spirit is at work in producing peace within us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the entire Godhead is at work to bring us peace and to give us peace. The kind of peace that passes understanding. It eludes the minds of the natural people in the world, but it floods the minds of those who are spiritual. And that peace that comes from God can issue forth into peace within us, and that's what verses 8 and 9 are about. And and verse 8 really hones in on the sanctified mind. That mind of Christ that we've been talking about. Eight characteristics are are listed here that can bring peace to our troubled minds. He begins with whatever is true. Truth is opposed, of course, to falsehood, that which is false. This would be things that not only deal with honesty, but also those things that are in keeping with reality. See, truth is what corresponds to reality. And so, truth thinking will combat all that false thinking and even all those lies that the devil seeks to feed us being the father of lies whatever is true whatever is noble or honorable honorable noble those those are both ideas here that communicate dignity Uh, they communicate respect they communicate reverence those things that deal with dignity respect reverence those Those things, think on those things as well. Whatever is next, just, just or right. Uh, Not just things that duty demands, but also what's interesting is the term here that's used for just is the same word that's translated often as righteous. And we know righteousness is connected to the very character and nature of God. The same as truth also is, and certainly reverence, that honorable Each of these, by the way, you see, can be connected right back to the very nature of God. Next is whatever is pure. Clean things, clean thoughts, pure thoughts. And that's the idea here, uh, issuing forth in purity. Thoughts, words, actions, all these things that are free from moral defect. It's not mixed. That's literally the idea here of of purity. It's unmixed. It's, It's pure. It's undiluted. And so all of our Actions and words and thoughts need to issue from that pure mind. Whatever is lovely, this is the only time this term is used in the New Testament, this specific term in the original language. This has to do with things that are pleasing, things that are beautiful, things that are winsome. These these are whatever is lovely. And then whatever is commendable, things that are well spoken of, things that are worthy of praise. If there is any excellence, this is a word that Peter uses in his, uh, both of his epistles, 
uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, also verse 5. Uh, this would be those things that are best, uh, those things that are good and best morally. Uh, that would be the thing which is excellent. If anything is, uh, last of all here, worthy of praise. Just kind of generally, universally praiseworthy. Things that even the Gentiles would recognize as praiseworthy. Uh, and really anything which Paul would have missed in this list up to this point can be captured in whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent. Those two final characteristics there, kind of a catch-all for the, the good and the right. At the, at the end of this, he says, think about these things. The end of verse 8. Think about it. Your translation may say, meditate on these things. That's good too. Lost art of Christian meditation, I think, is something that the church today needs to capture. Think, it's a, it's a present tense thing. It is what we are to be continually doing, reflecting on these virtues and allowing them to shape our conduct. You see, that's the thing. is, It's not just information that we're to take in, but that information results in transformation, a changed life as our life is changed and shaped. Think about these things. Keep on thinking about these things. Utilize the, the good sense that the Lord gave you, the reasonableness, the brain that He gave you. Think about it in detail. And give careful attention and study the, to them. One writer put it this way. Let these be the considerations which guide your thoughts and direct your motives. And really, this is where Paul lands in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. So we go from thoughts, our thought life, to the practice of these things. Putting them into action. And again, that's the information leading to transformation. That's the reflection leading to our response as we live out our lives. And indeed, the Philippians are to follow the pattern marked out even by the Apostle Paul. That he had given them in word and deed. They'd learned, they'd received, they'd heard, they'd seen in him. Practice these things. Again, the habitual practice uh, focused there as well. Why? Well, because the God of peace will be with you. And you know, this ought to characterize our practice as well. It's so important because God comes to live among His people and His people need to and must seek to be holy in thought, in word, and in deed. In all that we do. See, God desires to live among a holy people. Indeed, He gives us the ability to pursue holiness. That's the incentive behind not just our, our thought life, but also the practice that we put that into. The God of peace will be with you. You see, not just His peace does He give you, and He does, but He Himself comes to be with us as well. That's part of having peace of mind. Having that peace within Several people were on an elevator when it abruptly stopped. And it was stuck between floors. They were trapped. Immediately, people began to panic. <laughs> uh, there were some who began to cry out, help, help, help. But they're crying. I mean, they were sincerely crying out, begging for help. But it was to no avail. No one could hear them. It wasn't working. 
Others took to banging on the door, bang, bang, bang. And they were sincerely banging and hitting and, and hope, hoping someone would hear them, but again, it was to no avail. No one could hear them. But we know that in desperate times, people will often do desperate things. Now, among the panic-stricken group, there was one man, and, and he was calm. And while others were crying out, help, and others were banging on the door, this man, he simply walked over to the side of the elevator, pulled a latch, and there was a telephone within. And he pulled off the telephone and held the receiver up to his ear. And a voice on the other, sen- other side said, uh, is there something we can do? Is there some way we can help you? And the man said, we're trapped on the elevator between this floor and that floor. Can someone help? Right away, sir, we'll be there in just a moment. That was the reply. See, everyone on the elevator forgot about the phone, except for that one man. They were so busy being trapped that they forgot that there was a phone that they could pick up, and it was linked directly to the security. And simply picking up the phone would bring an end to their desperate situation. All their efforts of banging on the door and yelling out, that that didn't do any good. All their panic, all their worry and anxiety, and none of it would work. It didn't work. It wouldn't work. Picking up the phone and asking for help, that is what would help. And it did. We live in an anxious world. It's worry-sick, panicked in many ways. COVID-19 and the pandemic has only brought this to the forefront. We might were able to hide it for a good long time, but now it has come to the surface. People make all kinds of noise, try to seek all kinds of ways to find help for the anxiety, the worry, Even some Christians lose their minds with worry. But we can have peace of mind that comes from the peace of God and even bleeds into peace within the church. We can have that peace because we know we have a link to the one who secures our souls, the one who is at work even within us to bring about His good work and His good purposes. We have that link, which is prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, even making our requests to God. We have that link to the One who guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Didn't even get to talk about that. That's a military term. That the Lord of hosts comes to guard our hearts and our minds. And that prayer, prayer is our connection when we need help. And so I unite with the author of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us pray. Lord God, You are the one who will not let us go. You are the one who watches over us, mind, body, and soul. 
We pray, Father, that you would sanctify our minds so that we would think as you would have us to think. That could issue forth into the kind of behavior that you desire for your people to have. That we would experience the joy that you give us that comes through peace from you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.